Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Romans 16. The last time the message was titled Reflections on Ministry. So the Apostle Paul is, writes this. You think you write a letter? Romans, the book of Romans is a doctrinal treatise. It's theological. It's a lot of things. And uh, it's pretty long. Chapter delineations came later on. Understand this was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome in their church. And just like you and I at the end of a letter would write what was most important, what we really wanted to say, and the points we wanted to get forth, well, he does the same thing. So in 15, he speaks about ministry, which is very important to him, you know, giving the message of salvation. Today is really the end of the end of the letter, chapter 16, and the message is titled, Godly or Worldly Legacy. And everyone has to answer these questions in life. We do too. Now, 2,000 years later, right, hindsight is twenty twenty. we know what the Apostle Paul's legacy was. It was an awesome legacy. And we're going to look at this in six parts. But what type of legacy will we leave? Even the guy or the gal who has a street name named after them or a, a building and a university. All right. But is that eternal? Is that everlasting? We know the things of God are. So we would want, as believers, our legacy, when I pass away, how would I want people to remember me? We'll talk a little bit about that. Now, a little uh, soliloquy, which we always do on a Sunday morning since Romans. We're going to talk about every, every Sunday I've been doing at least an animal, a plant, or an insect, and just showing you the intricacies of how God created the natural life or the natural world and how... He put things into them that we don't necessarily have. So this morning, we're going to talk about the bear. Not the bears, not the football team, the bear, okay? I'm particularly fascinated with grizzly and polar bears. If we could show the video, you know, I have so many responsibilities. How many people have ever watched this, man versus bear? (laughs) Okay, some of you are going to admit it. Um, When I, I don't watch a lot of TV, but when I do... I just wanted to be mindless so I can kind of veg. And then I got my wife into watching the program too. And she said, Joe, this is stupid. Nobody can win against the bear. I said, I know, but just enjoy it. Just watch it. So the, the men and women compete. They're doing a tug of war right now. And um, they have these two grizzlies that were rescued by an Alaskan state trooper that were raised to be kind to humans. And they were taught some really neat things to do. So as he's gearing up to play tug of war with Bart... Um, the bears, they're, they come in omnivores, carnivores, and herbivores. He's beautiful, isn't he? 1,400 pounds. <laughs> the grizzly and the polar bear can get up to 1,400, 1,500 pounds. They can stand over eight feet tall. So certainly, you certainly wouldn't want to be within a half a mile of facing one of those bad boys. Uh, they also, yeah, they also are uh, incredibly fast. They're very heavy. They seem like they lumber, but they can can move at uh, speeds greater than 30 miles an hour. So don't think you're going to outrun them. 
their sense of smell is actually as good or greater than a dog's sense of smell, so they can track you. They can also climb. They can also swim. As a matter of fact, before they go into hibernation, it, it's routine that the bears, these type of bears, eat 25 fish a day to put a, enough fat on them so they can go into hibernation, usually for about 100 days, where their whole metabolic rate, their heart rate, their breathing all starts to slow down uh, during the winter, and they live off of those reserves. So it's pretty fascinating, isn't it? You don't realize how powerful these beasts are until they show some clips where the bear... And the humans are kind of playing together. <laughs> Did he fall in yet? He's going. I mean, these guys are <laughs> these guys are bodybuilders. They're power lifters, and it's kind of a foolish endeavor. But I suppose people will do anything to get on television. So that's pretty much the bear. Um, so now we're going to jump into Romans 16. If you're new to the church, you might think these people are all crazy. Good, crazy, and bad, crazy. Um, So we're good. Starting with verse 1 in Romans 16, the Apostle Paul says, now remember, he's writing a letter to the head, the heads of the Roman, the church in Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire. He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to the leaders. And these letters were supposed to be read at the churches. He says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a matter worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. So when we look at the Apostle Paul's legacy, the first out of six is, number one, deploying faithful Phoebe. Paul holds her in high regard. She's already serving that word. Um, is she's a deaconess in Centria. Here, the Apostle Paul makes a deployment decision, so to speak. Phoebe's probably a young lady. She's got to make a long trip. He deploys her to the Roman church, and she has to carry the letter to the Romans. Now, imagine if she was irresponsible. Obviously, she wasn't. He held her in high regard. He said to accommodate her as a valuable asset, This is another example of the value of women in the church. Now, every once in a while, I'm going to push back against what the culture is teaching, especially our young people, especially in some of these universities. Misogynists, you see, you'll hear these words thrown around. When you read the Bible, you see that that women were very valuable. I actually have an article that I've read a few times. Speaking of Iran, it keeps coming up. The article says that Iran has the world's fastest growing church, despite no buildings, and it's mostly led by women. Now, churches are illegal in Iran, so these women are putting their lives on the line to follow Christ and to tell other people about the good news of salvation. Um, Pretty pretty neat stuff. Verse 3, we continue. He says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, they were a ministry team, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So two out of six is the Apostle Paul gives credit to what I would call foxhole Christians. Foxhole, like when they, you know, the military, they dig, and, you know, it's very different now, but in trench warfare, they would get into a foxhole, and they would fight to the bitter end. 
side against side, World War I, some in World War II as well. But Christians were also fighting, were fighting, and today we're still fighting a spiritual battle. Jesus doesn't call us to take up arms and start shooting people, but he does call us to pray and to do battle in the heavenlies. So these folks, for their faith, they risk their necks. That's actually a figure of speech that we still use today. The word neck in Greek is trachelos, where we get the word trachea in English. I like to, people say, oh, you can't translate the Bible. It's actually pretty simple, especially the Koine Greek. It's a very simple and fluid translation. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, we see them in Acts 18. They understood Jesus' words in John 15, 13, where Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for their friends. Now, just to give you a, a kind of a parallel, there are some professions like the military. They have to have each other's back. That's what they're taught in boot camp, to break down their individuality and bring them together as a cohesive unit. Same thing with the police department, police academy. I went through all that. I'll give you a quick example. One of the things that I did before I retired, they were still putting me out on the road, which was fine. I like being out on the road. Uh, there were two, two guys who uh, burnt down a house with people inside of it. Thankfully, the people got out. So as you can imagine, we wanted to catch them. And I ended up catching them. And I did what was called a felony stop. And it was just me and these two guys that I had to get out of the car. And, um, you know, I was very focused on what I was doing. I couldn't look behind me, but I heard the sirens coming. After about a minute or two, I was able to let my guard down because now I had a backup officer who was putting them in the cars. Um, I turned around for a second and I saw like 20 police officers and they all had my back. I'm going to tell you something. That was a feeling. You know, you guys who have been in the military you know that feeling as well. That is a feeling like no other. That's the world. As Christians, we should also have each other's back because we serve even a greater purpose. We serve the living God. And in an unhealthy church or a sick church, the opposite is true. Instead of having each other's backs, and I've seen this with churches that falter, is people are stabbing each other in the back, not literally. But when a church is sick, it also turns off the unsaved. Nobody wants to come into a church and see a bunch of people fighting and factions. They're like, I'm not going to stay here. So Jesus' words were true. Priscilla and Aquila risked their necks. We don't know what they did to risk their necks for the Apostle Paul, but it was something substantial where he mentions them in his letter. So we see these legacy points, six of them, and the things that he does as he's going through the list before his letter finally comes to a close. We continue in verse 5. He says, Greet my beloved Epinatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. If you've studied Greco-Roman culture, some of these names are interesting to you because some of the names were common. They had certain meanings. But those in the Greco-Roman world, and Jews too, who came to Christ, still kept their names, but their character was changed. Who they were was changed in a positive way because now they were Christians, right? 
Greet Trophina and Trophosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother in mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobas, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Three out of six is reflecting on building a church team. That's important. We see over 30 names here. Also references to some people that maybe their names aren't mentioned, but he references a lot of people. Churches don't happen. They don't just happen. You know, and the whole idea of church is, and we use, actually we use it wrongly based on the original Greek word. We think we come to the building, this empty building, and this is the church. According to the Bible, we are the church. Remember, in the Roman Empire, in Iran, in North Korea, there are no buildings, right? People met in, you know, public places. When there was persecution, they met in, um, you know, sometimes in the sewage system, the catacombs. You know, they, they had to meet wherever they could because they were being persecuted. So we are the church, And it's an interesting concept that we have to understand. So a church is not comprised of one person, not the evangelist you go to see or the Christian band or the pastor. The church is all of us. Without all of us pitching in in some way, the church becomes unhealthy and then it starts to crumble, unfortunately. Verse 5, he says, Epineatus was the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. He was one of the first converts in the area. He also calls him beloved. He also calls him beloved. So the Apostle Paul knew how to make disciples, but he also knew how to make friendships as well. Remember, churches work the best when we all come together and pitch in a little something, use our spiritual gifts, because there really should be no celebrities in the church. I know there's certain ministries that you see the opposite, but that's as much as there's a lot of fanfare, it's really not healthy. We all need to come together. Andronicus and Junia were fellow prisoners. They paid the ultimate price by having their freedoms taken away at some point, as Paul did, right? When the Roman government started turning on the Christians, as they have in some other countries even today, uh, it gets real, right? And I say this in the United States. How many people, if Christianity became illegal in the United States, how many people would be peeling those Christian fish off their bumpers? How many people would not be so open about their faith? The fear factor. Um, how many would not share the, their faith as they are now? Because now you start to count the costs. Jesus says for us to do that too, to count the costs. Let me make a comparison here. Rome, he's writing to Roman Christians. These were Christians in the belly of the beast. Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire. You could almost see a comparison made to Washington, D.C. in the United States. So we, if we've never been out of the country, okay, I, I get what you're saying here. So the same thing if Christianity became illegal and there was Christian churches, which there are some in Washington, D.C., which is a very decadent area, by the way, a lot of vice in that area, um, you can see that Christians hopefully would try to be a preserving influence spiritually. Would still, like Iran and these other places, still want to tell people about Jesus and the way of salvation. I'll look at this again, these names, and I just was picking apart um, all these passages. Phoebe and many other women were named, as you can hear as I'm going through the list. Um, 
history has shown women to be great pioneers. And many women were honored in this letter. Many people were honored in this letter. And when we serve the Lord, we should serve it out of a, a heart that wants to serve the Lord, not to be seen, not for bad motives. But it is nice to be recognized. And I'm blessed that we have, um, I think, well over 50% service rate. Many people in this church do something somewhere, somehow, some way, even if it's at their convenience. We have the elderly that serve. We have the disabled that serve. We have the very young that serve, and they do a very good job. If anybody says to me, I want to do something with my spiritual gifts in this church somewhere, I'll put you somewhere. And if we drop the ball somewhere, please let me know. I will personally find a place for you to serve. So I, I understand the value of volunteerism. I, and again, it, nobody can say, well, I, I can't do, I'm not good enough, I don't. Listen, if you think you're inept, that's great because that means you're humble and that means we can use you. Amen? We have two young ladies that are going off to college that serve in a mighty way, two teenage girls, they're friends, and they both asked me this year or last year if I would do a character reference for their colleges. And they, when they read it, they were like, wow. I'm like, wow, it's just you. It's what you do. There's no wow. I didn't, I'm not a liar. I don't make stuff up. This is what you do. You're a blessing to this body. And I hope that one of these places sees the value in you. And, you know, as you go off into adulthood and, and your own, I just pray that the Lord uses you in a mighty way. It's kind of nice to be along for the ride. But, you know, it's cool stuff. So take the Bible 2,000 years ago. Apply it to today. A lot of applications. Verse 17, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, this is kind of the sad news here, uh, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly or their own flesh. And by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all, Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So four out of six is the Apostle Paul encourages the Romans, Roman church, the Roman Christians, to resist tares in the church. How many of you are familiar with the parable of the wheat and the tares, right? Very powerful parable. Say that 10 times fast. And uh, it basically talks about how uh, the church is a body of believers, right? There's good and there's evil, and Satan will try to use past not-so-good people through good places. And Paul's like, just keep your eyes out. Because there are people that come into the church that cause problems, right? I've, I know people who are part of churches that are faltering, and it's sad. And it only takes a handful of people to stir up trouble in the church. Uh, so he's wanting them to be realistic in their approach. And, you know, we're supposed to be nice and loving and not judging. However, at the same time, bad behavior is obvious. Deal with it. You know, something that we have to deal with. Um, you know, I've seen in the age of social media where everybody's friends with everybody, I find, and I've said this before, some of the biggest gossips have the biggest friend list and followings. And it's psychological. People think, well, I don't want to be the one that that person talks about. Let me stay on their good side. See some of you laughing. Because it's true. But the Bible says, you know what? Just God bless them. Let them do their thing. But 
don't really don't don't be associated with that. Now, there's a caveat to this. First Corinthians five, and sometimes Christians do the reverse of what God says to do. If you read First Corinthians five, which I've taught in the book of Corinthians, is that. The Apostle Paul says, I'm not saying never to fellowship with sinners. He said, you'd have to leave the planet, basically, I'm paraphrasing, to do something like that. He's saying someone who's named a believer and is divisive, they're a gossip, you know, they're, you know, they're strife, trouble, whatever they're doing. He says, that's the person not to associate with. You know, the unbelievers, it's great because, and, and then there's a question, listen, when we teach the Bible, we, we can't make things oversimplistic. Right? There's, there's, there's a little complexity to this. Um, can you handle, if you go out into the world, your influence is never static, it's always dynamic. At any given moment, when you interact with other people, whether they're believers or not, you're either influencing them positively for, the, for, the, for God and the kingdom, or they're influencing you negative for everything else, the world, you know, bad company, whatever. You have to make a decision when you go out into the world in these certain groups. Can I handle this? Can I be a positive influence to them? Are they going to drag me back into my old ways, which is something I don't want? And it's a judgment call that every Christian has to make. So the Bible makes perfect sense here when you cover all the scripture, right? Um, When I retired, uh, I was thrown a party. And as the night wore off, wore on, some people were maybe imbibing too much with alcoholic beverages. My wife and I weren't. But I looked at these people almost like my kids. A lot of them were young. And, you know, we were trying to be the salt. We were trying to be the good influence, fellowshipping and stuff. And it was funny because one of the younger guys who, practically the age of my son, they call me Joe D. They call me a lot of things. And he said, Joe D, make a speech. And I'm like, man, talk about an open door. So I got up on a stump and everybody was quiet. And I started preaching to them. I was the rich man in Lazarus, and at the end, I said, listen, you know, you're involved in so many things. You're young. You've got your whole life. Don't forget to look up. Don't forget that one day we're not going to be here. Where are you going to be? You could hear a pin drop. Um, one of their nicknames for me, because that's the type of job where people kid around with each other. They used to call me the old warrior, right? And I'm thinking, that's like age discrimination, you know what I'm saying? But it was, it was very affectionate. But it was cool. Uh, my buddy, he videotaped it and then sent it to me. Uh, but we have to know, uh, is this something that I'm going to get dragged back into my old ways or am I strong enough to influence them in a positive way? And again, it's a judgment call that we always have to make. So sometimes Christians look at the world and say, oh, they're atheists or they're this. And I love atheists. I love people who are Wiccans. I, I love to try to get them over to my side and, and have them understand who Jesus is. Um, and, and sometimes in the Christian culture, they, they shun those people, but they hang out with fleshy Christians. And that's the opposite, shaking your head, that's the opposite of what God says to do. Uh, verse 17, we continue. He says, now I urge you, brethren, I, I'll read it again, note those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Evil company corrupts good habits. Remember, not only are these people divisive, but in many churches, even today, they're causing the churches to close their doors. That's how much trouble they cause. And I found this about people who are troublemakers, saved or unsaved. What happens is they cause a, a conflagration, 
a firestorm, and then they just walk away from it. Like the person who starts a forest fire and they just take off. That's kind of commensurate in a spiritual way. So this is why he's saying these things. Verse 18, again, they serve their own belly or their flesh. They're not in the church for good reasons. They're in the church for self-serving reasons. He continues, with smooth words and flattering speech, they they deceive. They prey upon the weak-minded or the new believer unsteady in their walk. And again, I've seen this from experience. Uh, somebody who's a troublemaker. They'll try to get the people, not who are very strong in their faith, but maybe they're brand new believers, and they try to kind of mind control them, you know, their flattery and their words and their little innuendos. So I've seen it firsthand. Uh, And this is what they do. But that's what it says to do. By contrast, verse 19, it says, for your obedience has become known to all. What are they being obedient to? Not obedient to a person, not uh, submitting to a person necessarily, but uh, uh, obedience to the faith. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you'll follow my words. A lot of people, a lot of Christians say, I love God, I love God. Well, Jesus gives us a litmus test. John 14, he says, if you love me, you follow my words, which means you kind of have to know the word to know if you're following it or not. That's what's important to God. And there is a time to be humble. There's a time to stand down. I actually had to learn that the hard way uh, early on in my Christian walk. And I had to make a decision. I'm either going to listen to these older Christians and they're telling me things about them myself I don't particularly like. They're talking about some type of submission and change, which I didn't really like either. And I had to make a decision. If I'm going to follow the Lord, well, let me see, first of all, if what they're saying is true. I I read the whole Bible a few times. Um, In addition to that, is this something that I should pray about and see if the Lord is kind of telling me on, on, on his own with me that I should do this? And the case has turned out that that's something that we all have to do. So it's not fun. Not everything in Christianity is fun, but it's necessary. There's things about all of us that, that we have to really look at and um, make some changes. In verse 20, the mention of God crushing Satan under the feet of the saints is indicative. You kind of see an allusion to that. In Genesis, right, we see that Christ um, at the cross crushed Satan under his feet because now Satan really didn't have power over sinners anymore. Christ freed us from that. We could choose to follow God willingly and not be deceived and not be blinded anymore, not be in our flesh all the time. We know that there's an ultimate defeat in the book of Revelations, but there also could have been something now... When you, when you teach the scripture, it can't be everything is apl- applicable to us in 2020. There was something maybe that was going on that the church was experiencing. Maybe there was a ruler, a, a, a mid-level ruler, who was really giving them a hard time, and the Lord was either going to move them on or take them out. So when we read the letter, we can certainly apply things to our lives, but we also have to remember there were things that were happening at the time that we might not know about. But what we need to know God gave us. So, neat stuff in there. Verse 21 through 24, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, it's almost like a postscript. He says amen, and then he starts talking about Timothy and Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my kinsmen, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. This is why if you're looking for Jesus and you're looking for truth, you will find it. 
So one of these guys was a treasurer. Where? Local government? Um, people in Herod's household got saved. People in the Roman government got saved. So you could put the Bible aside and you could find Jesus through secular sources. Very easy to do. Their works are still out there, right? So you can prove the existence of Christ. When you're talking to somebody who's not really buying it, it's an easy one. Christ existed. Now you have to make the case that Jesus was God. He was fully God and fully man, which isn't really that hard to do either. Some people, just their hearts are hardened to it. So there's a lot of interesting things going on here. 25,000 full manuscripts and fragments of the New Testament alone. In Coptic, in Greek, in Latin, in you know, indigenous languages, in Aramaic, in Hebrew. It's all there, folks. It's all there. And I love touching on apologetics because this is how we, in an age of relativism and postmodernism and you know, all these isms today, there is a truth. There is truth. A lot of people today are like, there is no truth. Then you would say, is that a true statement? Right? I mean, even some examples and rules of logic um, don't make sense when people uh, utter these things. Look for it. Search it. You'll find it. It's there. So five out of six, we're almost at the end of the letter, uh, Paul mentions more faithful saints. Tertius, I Tertius, he took dictation, which was very common in the Roman world. Um, you know, you found somebody who could write relatively quickly, write neatly, um, articulate exactly what you want to say. If I had to handwrite something, believe me, I had terrible handwriting. I think years ago they went from uh, handwritten reports to print reports, I think because of me, because nobody could read. The secretaries would be like, oh, what is this word? Sometimes I actually write notes to myself, and then I read it a day later, and I don't know what it means. So um, I certainly wouldn't be the guy that Paul would use to write the letter to the Romans. But Tertius did. He was faithful. Tertius writes it. Phoebe carries it. And check it out. He was able to trust both of them. Are there people in your life that you can trust? You know, people say, oh, you can find a million Facebook friends. Can you find people that have the character that you can trust them with your life? If you had to get a message to somebody, if you had to get them to do an errand for you, and it was so important, you know, we know that there's some people we wouldn't use. But hopefully there's some people we could use. Now, let me ask that question again. Are you that person? Are you that person? Could you imagine Phoebe getting all the way to Rome? And say, hey, Phoebe, we hear great things about you. Um, Where's the letter? Oh, my goodness. I left it with Paul. Now, remember, you didn't fax things. You didn't email things. You didn't take a picture with your camera phone. She'd have to go all the way back. You know, could be months to get the letter. But the truth is, she had the letter. And we have the letter thanks to faithful Phoebe. So we have to ask ourselves, are we that type of faithful person? Are we trustworthy? Even in ministry. You know, if we go to do a... And we do this. We go to, do a, go to Trenton or we go to an off-site location, a state home, and we feed people who are hungry. If three people, let's say... Six people sign up to bring food and three people just don't show up. We have a problem. So people sometimes, and it's, it's sad, it's a small percentage in the church. They'll please their boss. They'll please the, all their friends. But 
they'll just willy-nilly sign up for stuff at the church and they're just the type of person that is not faithful. That's not good because it can affect other people, right? So these, this is where the rubber hits the road when we start to ask these questions in the application phase of what we're teaching. Are we trustworthy? 25 through 27. Now to him, meaning Christ, who is able to establish you, according to my gospel, he made it personal, although the gospel is the gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now has been made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So six out of six is what is the last of the last things that the Apostle Paul leaves us with? Well, that God had this plan. That when humankind sinned, God already had a solution for it. Because he knows everything. This mystery, the Greek word is, is mysterion, which is a transliteration. Now, when we think of mystery, we think of murder mysteries. Words evolve. Etymology of words change over the years. Mysterion was something that was previously hidden, but has now been revealed. So deep into the Old Testament, you see prophecy, you see history, you see uh, allusions, hints, inferences, extrapolation, all these things about this great plan that God was doing. But in the New Testament, it all gets revealed. Fascinating. And not only did he provide a solution for our sins, but he also was going to bring Jews and Gentiles, which couldn't be the furthest people on the planet, together under the umbrella of the church. And people today, if they, maybe they're not very familiar with church history, they say, Jewish people are Christians? Yeah, they're completed Jews. They believe the prophecies. We have about a dozen and a half or two dozen people in this church that have uh, Jewish roots that love this church. Um, the j- original church was almost entirely Jewish until the Gentiles started coming into the fold. So this was a, an amazing thing that God was doing um, And he says, even in his scriptures, I tell you a thing uh, that I'm going to do that if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Sometimes when God would speak to the prophets, he'd say, write this to the people. This is going to happen, but here's the the disclaimer. You're you're not going to believe it. And when it happens, you might not even believe. You have to see it with your own eyes. That's how amazing God is. He's one step ahead of us. And usually he's one step ahead of us to fix us to fix our problems, to fix our, our dysfunctional thinking, to fix our ways that are self-destructive. That's the God that I know and I love. And at the end, it gets even better. All these plans that he has for us. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, anyone on the planet, all of them at the same time, would believe on him, would not perish, but have eternal life. That's God's desire, that the whole world would be saved. So as we end this book, which is a powerful book, how do we live our lives? Christians in 2020, how do we live our lives? What do you want your legacy to be? Before I was saved, I had an idea. And then I got saved and I was like, that's immature. (laughs) And you know, you totally, your thinking changes because now you're in line with, with God and you're in prayer and you're reading the word and you're like, yeah, yeah, God's ways are so much better for me. So... Again, some people, it's fine. They want to be known as the person who made a million, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. The person who made a billion, whatever. 
Um, there's a whole hospital wing named after them. You ever walk through like a, a university or a hospital, you see all these names or street names, like, who are these people? I mean, the more obvious ones, we know who they are. Um, but that's their legacy. But nobody really knows who they are. And so what? They got a name on a street or something. The legacy, here's better, here's better. The legacy of living our life with the purpose of facilitating people getting into heaven. That's what I try to do here, just show you the way. Um, Two people that I want to, as I close this incredible book, two people that I want to mention. One was a mentor of mine, and he knew. He was so patient with me. He was older, and, you know, kind of dabbling about getting in ministry, but I really didn't want to put the effort in. You know, I'm like, I had so many ideas about my life and it was, it was interesting. And he would always try to urge me on, teach me. And he knew I was kind of flighty at the time. He died of cancer and he just watching him go through this. I was like, okay, now I, the faith is really real to me. This guy's not even human. And I say that in a good way. It was amazing what he endured. And he the last night, I remember being alive with him. He was praying for everybody in the hospital. It was like 20, I've never seen a, a room so big. 25 people, he just started praying for us one by one. And that night he passed away, not even thinking about himself. The other person, and I had permission to share this, was Drew. Drew, Andrew McIntyre, who was born three days uh, from my son. Uh, Andrew grew up in the church. We remember him as a toddler. At 14, he developed uh, cancer, ependymoma, and it was a long battle for five years. And at 19, he finally passed. Last year, I did, and we, we honored him, and it was amazing. This place was packed. He affected people in high school. He affected people in college. He affected hospital staff, surgeons, doctors, nurses, lab people. And again, I, I would have those moments with him, and I would remember just sitting with him, me and, me and him, and I'm thinking, all right, just be ready to minister to him. And he asked for prayer for some things, but this kid was incredibly strong. He knew as his health deteriorated, he knew he was going, but he knew where he was going. And he still has an effect on people today. So when I think of Nick, my mentor, and I think of Drew, someone younger than me that taught me lessons, um, powerful people powerful legacies and their whole desire while they were alive knowing that they were going to pass was that they were trying to bring as many people into the kingdom facilitate because jesus gets us into the kingdom we kind of show the way that was powerful to me so this is why i keep doing what i do until the lord takes me or until i can't remember anything anymore um but for me i don't want a worldly legacy I want a godly legacy. I want to get into those pearly gates and God smiles at me and goes, well done, my good and faithful servant. He's not going to say, well done, you didn't sin. Trust me. He's not going to say, well done, you did everything right. Trust me. But he is going to say, you were faithful to the task I gave you. If you don't know your spiritual gift, have somebody pray with you. Find out what it is. Find out how you can leave that spiritual legacy as well. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. 
We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.